Would you please turn with me to your study outline? Uh, as you're turning, let me welcome the hundreds of you that join us every week online uh, for our study of God's Word. If you'd like to use a mobile device or your phone, you'll see how to access that uh, behind me there on the screen. Also, like to welcome our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and First Baptist Church in Kalispell, Montana, and also the Hangar in Marion, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. And as we prepare to jump into a new series, let's watch this together. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because we're taught the truth and we love people. I love my church because everyone is designed to serve, even in junior high ministry. I love my church because this is my home. I love my church because I've learned about God's grace towards me and how to extend it to others. I love my church because we are better together. I love my church because we care enough about people to tell them the truth, whether or not it's popular. I love my church because marriage mentoring saved our marriage. I love my church because my whole family is here. I love my church. <laughs> I love my church because I'm able to go to summer and winter camp. I love my church because it offers an opportunity for my children and myself to grow our relationship with God deeper. I love my church because of the teachers that teach me. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because of the fun activities. I love my church because generous people transform the world. I love my church because it feels like my family. I love my church. I love my church. We love our church. <laughs> All right. Now, over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at six reasons why the local church will change your life. And I want you to know I love the local church. For all of its flaws, and they are many, it is still the greatest force for good in the world today. And today, the one we're going to be looking at is the church provides a context for lifelong friendships. And this is incredibly needed today. I was just reading an article in the New York Times this past week by Katie Hafner. You'll see her picture up there. And the uh, headlines of the New York Times said, researchers confront an epidemic of loneliness. There is an epidemic of loneliness in America today. Researchers have found mounting evidence linking loneliness to physical illness and to functional and cognitive decline. As a predictor of early death, loneliness eclipses obesity. Now, let, let me just put that another way. That means it is better to be overweight and have friends than to be thin and to have no friends. That is like the best piece of news I've heard in, in so long. That is like outstanding. Now, if you're struggling with loneliness, then of course it is not funny. And uh, the church is the number one force in the world today combating loneliness. People connecting together in church is the number one force uh, to fight that epidemic, as they say, of loneliness. In Britain and the United States, roughly one in three people older than 65 live alone. And in the United States, half of those older than 85 live alone. Studies in both countries show the prevalence of loneliness among people older than 60, ranging from 10 to 46%. That means that up to half of Americans over the age of 60 are struggling in an epidemic way with loneliness. 
And the church provides a context for making lifelong friendships. It is the greatest force uh, for fighting that. L.A. Los Angeles psychologist and author, Dr. Lennon Zunin, he says the biggest problem Americans face today is loneliness, even though we're surrounded by people. You know, the average American today meets more new people in a year than the average American 100 years ago did in a lifetime. That means we're surrounded by people. You're going to meet more people this year in the next 12 months than the average American a century ago met in their entire lives, and yet we have an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, In the 1960s, Jack Warner was the last of the five living Warner Brothers, the movie studio, uh, Warner Brothers. He sold his stock in Warner Brothers for $640 million. Now, that was good money back in the 1960s, I want you to know. That was decent money, probably one of the wealthiest men in the world. And a reporter asked him, how many friends do you have in the world? How many friends do you have? He said, I don't have a single friend in the entire world. One of the wealthiest men alive at that time said, I don't have a single friend in the entire world. And they tell us that loneliness is the number one emotional problem. Uh, the bestseller of any century and all through human history is the Bible. But the second bestseller outside of the Bible in the 21st century uh, was Purpose Driven Life. But the bestseller of the uh, 1900s, the 20th century, after only the Bible, was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, we want friends. We desire friends. Uh, we need friends. Uh, a study from the American Sociological Review showed the number of people Americans can discuss important matters with. In 1985, it was only 2.94. Less than three people, uh, what's that, now 30 years ago, said less than three people we have that we can discuss important stuff with. Uh, In 2004, 20 years later, it had dropped almost a point to 2.08. It's probably under two people on average for Americans uh, today. In 2004, 25% of Americans said they had no one with which to discuss important matters. Uh, John Ortberg writes, sometimes in church sermons, when people feel lonely, we'll tell them not to expect too much from human relationships that there is inside every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill. And that is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, that God created a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. And you can see that there in your study outline, Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so he said there's a God-shaped hole in your life that nobody but God can fill. But God also said there's a hole in your life, the need for relationships that even he will not fill. It's not good. It's not good for us uh, to be be alone. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat, I just want to get my cards right on the table and tell you right off the bat that my goal this morning is that if you are not in a small group, that at the end of this service, you're going to go right out to the lobby, uh, either to one of the tables on the south side of the lobby or the north side of the lobby or right in the middle of the Connect Center, My goal, if you are not part of a small group, okay, a Bible study group, an adult Bible study group, uh, a life group, a rooted group, that you're going to go right out after this message is over, and you're going to go out there, and you're going to talk to somebody. There's going to be people out there that will talk to you and help guide you as to what group would be best for you, a rooted group, a life group, or some other group, and you're going to make that time priority this fall to get connected with other people in a small group. Uh, One of our core values here at Purpose Church is that we're better together. We're better together. 
And as you plan on how to invest your time this fall, I'm encouraging you to set aside some time in a small group, and I promise you it's going to change your life. I promise you it's going to change your life. Let me give you a couple examples just within the last 48 hours. Uh, I came down here Friday night. I was going to do um, a renewal of wedding vows for a couple on their 10th anniversary. Uh, they, had never, they hadn't gotten married in a church, and they always, once they became followers of Christ, they always wanted to have a ceremony to renew their vows in the church. So they took the occasion of their 10th anniversary to do that. And, you know, it's an interesting thing as a pastor to see who shows up for people's weddings, or in this case, a wedding renewal of vows, or for a funeral. It's always interesting, and you're always fascinated by, okay, I didn't know those people were related, or I, I didn't know that they uh, were friends. And so it, it's always interesting, like, who's, who's going to, you know, this is kind of a morbid question. You're going to, you know, say, why did I get up to hear this at church? But have you ever asked the question, who's going to come to your funeral, okay? Who's going to come to your funeral, and I'll just tell you as a pastor, let me tell you who's going to come to your funeral. Your, your um, closest, absolute closest friends from work and stuff like that, a handful from there, uh, there's going to be your family is going to be there. But mainly, it's, if you're connected with a small group, it's going to be your small group people are going to be at your funeral, your Sunday school class, your small group. Uh, that, that is who is going to be there. Kimberly and I were talking, this is really morbid that we were talking about this, but we were talking about my funeral the other day. She's the one that brought it up. That was kind of weird, okay, you know? And so, so um, I think I'm canceling that life insurance policy. So at any rate, so we were just talking about it, and, and I was talking about who I wanted for my pallbearers, you know? And, and by the way, Adrian, Pastor Eric, Pastor Adrian, you're on that list. I'll try to lose some weight by then, I promise, okay, uh, for that. And who's going to speak at my funeral and that kind of thing. But it, it, it's an interesting question. And, and so here I was, uh, you know, this group comes in for the renewal of wedding vows, a 10th anniversary, and I'm like, okay, I understood a few of them are family, but what's this random group of people, these other people that are there in force, many of them there? And I turned to the couple, I said, who is this? I said, oh, it's my rooted group. That's my rooted group. They're the ones when you have a renewal of your 10th wedding vows. They're the ones that show up as your rooted group. I come back to church. Uh, on Saturday to finish up my sermon, and there's a group of young adults in their 20s, and they're all painting the adult ministry's office suite, all these 20-year-olds in their painting on a Saturday. I said, what's up with this? What, what are you guys here for? They said, oh, this is our rooted group service project. And I'm like, they're everywhere. They're, I mean, they're just taking over the church. They're everywhere. Now, i tell you the part that was a little sketchy is the head of our rooted program, okay, is Pastor Greg. And they were painting his office. And I'm just telling you, okay, uh, worthy of investigation, I think. Now, let's look at one of the greatest friendships in the Bible, and that was the friendship of David and Jonathan. And I tell you what, I just want to focus in on how they met. First four verses, and then the rest of the passages there, kind of use that as homework assignment, okay? Because this is one of the greatest friendships. And read the next uh, three, four, five chapters after chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18, you'll see the page number there in your book rack Bible or in your Bible, you'll pull it up or pull it up on your phone. And I just want to focus on these four verses, and then you read the rest uh, during the week or later today. After David had finished talking with Saul, now this was after he had killed Goliath. And you know an interesting thing? If the first Samuel stopped at chapter 17, you know who the big hero was for Israel? It was Jonathan. I mean, we hardly even pay attention to any of his great feats of valor because of David killing Goliath, okay? And he's like completely overshadowed uh, by David. But up until uh, chapter 18, 
The big hero is Jonathan. He is the man. He was the guy doing great feats of valor, and he was the guy leading the armies of his father's, uh, was the king, Saul, and he was leading the armies into battle. But after David kills Goliath, he's talking with Saul. Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Now, I love that phrase in the Bible, one in spirit. Bible scholars that I was reading, commentators this past week, said it, it's kind of like the idea of you look in another person's face and you feel like you're looking in the mirror. Do you have somebody in your life, when you look at them, you're, you feel like you're looking in the mirror, not because they look like you outside, but because they have the same values, they have the same priorities in life, they have the same passions, they have the same goals. Uh, there are friends that I have that when I look at them, I feel like I'm looking in the mirror because they are concerned about the same things I'm concerned about. They, they are devoted to the same things in life. They have the same priorities. Their heart beats and breaks for the same things. And that's the way it was with David and, and, and Jonathan. You see, they had two priorities in their life. One was to defeat the enemies of Israel, and number two was to expand the kingdom of Israel. And so in the context of the local church, you find people that when you look in their face, you feel like you're looking in the mirror because their heartbeat is to push back the darkness of Satan, to push back the forces of evil, to push back injustice, to push back, um, you know, to push back against the forces of darkness that are encroaching our culture and society and world, and to expand the kingdom of God, to expand the cause of Jesus Christ. And you meet those people as Jonathan met David on the battlefield uh, fighting the enemies of Israel. You meet those people in the context of the local church. And it says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant, made a commitment with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even, I love that word, even for a soldier giving away your weapons, is like, I mean, for a soldier to hand over his gun or her gun, I mean, to, for her or him to hand over their weaponry, that is the biggest deal for a soldier. And even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, what he was doing here symbolically was saying, I know that instead of me leading Israel on the death of my father, David is going to be the king instead of me. And I'm okay with that. I am showing that I am transferring the leadership, the kingship from me, the rightful heir to the throne from Saul. I'm transferring it to David, and I'm okay with that. I will be his number two man. David will lead our nation. I will be second in command, and it's okay as long as God's work gets done. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. It doesn't matter who's in the number one spot. It doesn't matter who gets all the fame. As long as it gets done, my heart beats with the thing. We are one in spirit, and as long as the right mission happens, it doesn't matter who gets credit for the mission. And I tell you, Jonathan is, is, is like overlooked in Scripture, but he is one of the great heroes uh, in God's Word because of that attitude. Proverbs 27, verse 19. A mirror reflects a man's face. But what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. And um, you poor junior hires and high schoolers, you know, when you're up front, I do talk about you a lot. And I just want you to know um, that, that, that really what's in your heart, uh, what's a, you know, what you look like, you can tell that by your mirror. But what's on your heart and what your priorities are is determined by the kind of friends you choose. 
And choose your friends carefully because that reveals to everybody else what your priorities are, what matters to you. The Bible says you really know what a person's like on the inside by the kind of friends uh, that he or she chooses. And the church provides a context for lifelong friendships. Let me just do one more quick aside and then we'll keep moving the ball down the field. But, um, you know, especially with junior hires and high schoolers here or all young adults or singles here, uh, there's another kind of friendship I just want to talk about for a minute. Uh, I met my lifelong friend at church. It was the third Sunday that I was at that particular church, and she walked in the door. And I thought, I'd like to be her lifelong friend. <laughs> but she comes back the next week to church with her fiancé. And so I prayed that God would break up that wicked relationship. I, as I prayed. And he did. And we've been lifelong friends for 34 years. Okay. Now, now let me just say a word to those of you that are single. Okay. Now, you may be called to be single, a single adult, like, like Jesus and Paul. And oh my goodness, that's awesome. You are in great company. The, the, start, the starter of our movement the ones that started our movement, you know, Christ, and then uh, around the Roman Empire by Paul, they were single adults. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's preferable for serving God. You will make the great, a greater impact because you're, you're going to have just one priority, one mission is to fulfill God's plan for your life. And so the Bible actually says that's, that's preferable. You'll be most effective. And you know, the Bible also says that you don't have to give up fulfilling relationships if you're a single adult. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can be more devoted, single-heartedly to the cause of Christ. But at the same time, you can have very fulfilling relationships like David and Jonathan, like Paul and Barnabas, like Paul and Silas, like Jesus and his disciples. But if you're called to be married, if you're called to be married, I just want you to remember uh, Proverbs 27, verse 19, okay? A mirror reflects a man or a woman's face. But what he or she is really like is shown by the kind of friends that he or she chooses. What you're really about in your heart is revealed by who you choose to be your lifelong friend in marriage. And here's my desire for you as your pastor. I want you to be on fire for Jesus. And I want you to choose someone who is also on fire for Jesus. Okay? And God's gonna bless you with a wonderful life I, I, I can say that from the bottom of my heart. And the church, not always, but often the church is the context for those kind of lifelong friendships. Now, we've looked at two uh, male friendships, two guys that were in friendship. Let's look at a couple of women, uh, female uh, friendships. So I'm going to ask Samantha and Callie to come up right now. And in the Broadway musical um, Wicked, which is kind of a prequel to The Wizard of Oz, Alphaba uh, and Glinda are very, very different. Alphaba is green and Glinda is blonde, okay? But they become lifelong friends. And so the two of you, uh, you met here at Purpose Church in your early 20s. Samantha was green and Callie was blonde, okay? And, uh, and here you are, lifelong friends. Here you are in a small group together, okay? Uh, here you are. And so I've asked them uh, to sing this uh, song, this Broadway uh, song, and, and pay careful attention to the words. They're just awesome. So would you welcome Callie and Samantha as they come and sing for us right now.
six marks of a real friend. Number one, I must be committed. Uh, Proverbs 18, 24. Some friendships do not last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers. Uh, loyalty is such a wonderful thing. Uh, commitment and loyalty. Uh, I remember years ago, we had a high school pastor by the name of Chris Brown. And Chris was tremendously gifted. And people used to say to me, Glenn, aren't you threatened by his giftedness? Which was not a show of confidence in me, actually, you know. And so, so I said, absolutely not. And they said, why not? He says, because he's so loyal. And I remember 23 years ago when I came, we were making some changes in the church that, uh, to save our church and, and to help us reach another generation. And, and they weren't always all that popular. And this may shock you, but I was actually criticized by some people. And uh, so Chris and Amy, his wife, were out to dinner with uh, some people from within the church. And after a while, the conversation turned to begin to criticize these changes and to begin to criticize me. And Chris goes, oh, I am so sorry. I did not know the conversation was going to go in that direction. If it's going to continue, uh, we're going to continue talking like this. I'm, Amy and I are going to have to leave right now. We're just going to have to leave this dinner. And Chris said that Amy had her fingernails in his top of his leg and just like blood was coming out. She was so embarrassed. And they go, oh, 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 we're sorry. We're, we're sorry. No, 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 no problem. We won't talk about that anymore. He goes, okay, good. We can stay then. And they, they stayed on. And, and you know, one of my pet peeves, I bet it is for you as well. Do you ever have people that come up to you and say, oh, you know, you know, I heard some people saying some bad stuff about you. And you're like, um, well, what did you do? Oh, I didn't join in. I just sat there silently, you know, but, but I thought I'd report to you the bad things they were saying about you. And you're like, come on, you didn't stand up for me, you know, you didn't, you didn't stand up and, and, and defend me, you know. And so uh, the first mark of a real friend is they're, they're committed, they're loyal. Number two, I must be considerate. Proverbs 19.22, kindness makes a man or a woman attractive. You've probably heard me tell this story before, but um, uh, one of my wife's lifelong friends from her years at Boston University uh, was Susie Marcucci. And it all started the first day of freshman orientation. Now, you know, the goal of freshman orientation is to just be as cool as you can possibly be. Or in my case, if that's not possible, try not to do something too uncool. That was always my goal. Couldn't be cool, but try not to do something too uncool. And so they're in the cafeteria for lunch on the first day of freshman orientation, and my wife, Kimberly, drops her tray of food. And everybody around her just backed away, like, don't let that spread to me. Don't let that uncoolness spill over to me, except for one person, Susie Marcucci, knelt down and begins to pick up the tray of mess that Kimberly had made. Now, you think that'd be enough, but that same night at dinner now, Kimberly does exactly the same thing, <laughs> drops her tray of food. Everybody backs away. Not cool, not cool. Susie Marcucci kneels down and helps her clean it up, and they have been friends, lifelong friends to this day. Proverbs 17, 9, love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. Number three, I must be confidential. Proverbs 11, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Uh, three pastors out on a camping trip, they're sitting around the campfire, and one of them says, you know what, just to bond with each other, let's share our deepest sin. 
that nobody else knows about. And so this one guy says, well, he says, I have a drinking problem. For the last 10 years, my church doesn't know about it. And they're like, oh, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Next guy goes, he goes, you know, I've been stealing money from the offering plate of my church for the last 10 years. Nobody knows about it. My church doesn't know. Oh, thank you for sharing. And then the, the only one that hasn't shared is the guy that suggested they do it. So they said, well, how about you? It's your turn. He says, well, my, my deepest and, and strongest sin um, that I'm most embarrassed by is that I'm a terrible gossip. And I can't wait to get out of here and share what I just, uh, what I just heard. Uh, number four, I must be candid. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. Rules for being candid. You compliment in public, but you correct in private. You correct when people are up, not when they're down. When they're feeling good and can handle it, you don't kick them when they're down. Correct them when they're up and comfort them when they're down. Pastor Eric's going to come up uh, in, in a minute here just to uh, share some closing, a closing challenge. And, you know, if, if he says something that I think should have maybe said differently, well, even though he's going to feel very vulnerable, I'm telling you, when you walk down off this platform, you feel absolutely vulnerable and naked. I'm telling you, very vulnerable to what people say. As a matter of fact, my wife, Kimberly, her only job, she goes to 11-11 service, and her only job is when I finish preaching, I walk down. It's like a ritual. It's like a liturgy. And during the closing worship, I walk over next to her, and she goes, that was awesome. Whether it was or not, whether it was or not, that doesn't matter. She knows uh, that's not the time to say, you know, yeah, no, yeah, no. No, that's the time to go. That was amazing. I'm so lucky to be married. Yeah, you know, that, that's her job. So, so, so at any rate, you know, with Pastor, let's say Pastor Eric says something when he gets up here, not quite. Well, probably I will say something afterwards because he can still correct it by the 11-11 service. But if it's like he preaches and I'm out of town and I hear the message later on, I'm not, I'm not going to tell him right away. I'm going to wait a few days, a few weeks. I might even wait until the next time he's going to preach. And that week before, I might say, hey, by the way, you know, if you, this subject comes up again, you, you may, you know, may want to mention that. So uh, that's the way I would handle that. As a matter of fact, Pastor Eric, um, I, I'd like to see you in the green room when we're done here. Okay, I need to talk to you. But I told him the same thing during worship at 830 service. I leaned over and I said, look, if there's anything you need to correct, and he gave me some ideas um, for the next two services. I said, I'm open to it, which leads us to our next one. You never correct a person until first you've proven that you are open to correction. I have found that the people that can most give it can't take it, okay? I found the most critical people are those that when you try to give them some constructive criticism, they fall completely apart, and so don't correct a person if you're not ready and open to receive correction. Never rebuke your friend until first you've proven that you're open to rebuke from them about an area in your life when you have a blind spot or a need. And then number five, I must be constructive. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Uh, Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Okay? Even back then, people were getting in the habit of not assembling together in church like we're doing this morning. He says, don't do that because the only way you're going to spur each other on to love and good deeds is if you're together and you can encourage each other together. There's a trend in the church today where it used to be years ago that if you were a committed follower of Christ, you would be there 
every Sunday. I'm telling you, unless you were really sick or unless you were out of town. And if you were out of town, you still found a church to go to when you were out of town. The, the new research shows us that the average uh, person following after Christ today comes to church about once or twice a month rather than three, four, or five times like they did uh, years ago. Now, let me tell you the danger of that, particularly for those parents that are here of young children. I just want to give a particular challenge uh, on that as, as your pastor, because I've been a pastor for 35 years. I've seen how this works generation to generation. I've watched it in action, so I can say this with real conviction. That works when your kids are little to show up every once in a while. Because your, your little kids, they'll go where you want to go. You're going to church, they'll go to church with you. But let me tell you what happens. If you're not here more consistently, if you're not here Sunday by Sunday, they're not making lifelong friends. They get to junior high and high school, and now you don't go where you want to go. You go where your kids want to go. And if they have not made those lifelong friendships, they won't want to go because they want to go where their friends are. So let me just say, if you've got young children, you need to, particularly in that time, be as consistent as possible so that they can make lifelong friendships that will carry them into the junior high and high school and beyond because of those friendships. And then they will want to come to church and sit on the ground and right at the feet of the pastor like this. They will want to be here. I'm sure you were so excited when you heard you were coming into this church rather than Pastor Eric or Pastor Adrian. They were just, you know, oh, excited, excited. But that's what's going to happen. And just a word of caution and of challenge. Uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another at all the more as you see the day, that is the day of Jesus' second coming, approaching. And then number six, I must be consistent Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother or sister is born for a time of adversity. Now, for a final challenge, would you welcome with me Pastor Eric Holmstrom? Thank you, Glenn. Now, thank you. you know, now, 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 here's the thing. Yeah. I, I would, or do you, you can start. Well, I was just going to say. Well, I was going to say. Try I, not to mess up so I don't have to correct you afterwards. Right, well, okay, yeah, and yeah. I, I want to correct you. Would you be okay if I just corrected Glenn real quick publicly, in front of our president? Do it publicly, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about Adrian. Where's Adrian? Is Adrian out yeah, there Adrian's somewhere? Adrian's right there. Right there. But Adrian and I, Adrian, I mean, Sam and Kelly did a wonderful job singing. But Adrian, yeah, we can give it up for Sam and Kelly. It was, it was, it was good. But Adrian and I didn't get a call this week to do a duet. Okay, and you so, guys wanted to sing. Okay. I mean, maybe uh, okay. N- next time, Adrian, I think we'll uh, yeah. do something How German. many will come back to church next Sunday if Adrian and Eric say, And yeah, then they'll, no, never no, 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 no. they'll never come back They'll never come back ever again. again. Okay. Uh, well, hey, I, I feel like after, after, a, after a sermon like that from Glenn, you basically have two options. That you can ignore it and just say, man, cool, awesome, it's great music and, and interesting ideas. But I'm just going to continue kind of going to church, going to continue doing life as I've done it, going to continue being reserved and, and guarded. Or you could take these ideas, these principles, this, this idea that we are created to live in communion. You could say, you know what? I'm going to make some changes. That coming this fall, I'm going to open myself up and be vulnerable to a community. You see, if you're a student in one of our student ministries, whether you're a junior higher or a high schooler, every single Wednesday night, if you don't already come to our program, you got to be there this Wednesday. Now, every single week, we break into small groups because we think it's really important what happens on a main stage, but we think it's essential what happens in a group. 
that in a group you can begin to be vulnerable and open and honest. And you can begin to actually be known. And you see, our desire in a big church like this is that every single one of you, whether it's your very first week here, or whether you've been coming here for a really, really long time, is that you would be known by people. I want to read a scripture to us, just one verse. Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. And this is how he describes the body. That Paul says, you know, Christians, you need to understand yourself. You're not just isolated individuals who happen to show up and sit in some chairs together. No, no, you are actually a body. And this is how you are to function. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I don't know what your resistance is to small groups or life groups or whatever it may be. That you may think, ah, those people aren't for me. Or I, I'm a little afraid about getting vulnerable. I'm too busy. My life right now, we, my, my wife and I, we've been married seven years. We have three kids. Our life feels like a circus, okay? Like it just feels insane right now for us. But we've made a commitment in our marriage that since we've been married, we said, you know, we need to be in community with other people just to get like group counseling when our kids are going nuts and just to figure out how to do this life of following Jesus. And just this last week, just this last week, I had three conversations with three different people. One of them said, you know what, Eric? I've been wrestling for a while with my sexual identity. And I've made a commitment to follow Jesus with my sexuality, but, but it's really hard and it's really challenging. But when I joined a rooted group and I started to open up and share about this struggle, I found that this church was full of people who would love me. And this group of people, they actually knew me. I didn't have to keep up this secret or this facade. They knew me and they chose to love me and care for me and journey with me. I had another conversation with a guy who I just respect and admire beyond belief. And and he was telling me that his marriage had hit an all-time low. That, man, things were bad. In fact, things were leading towards divorce. And maybe there's some of you who you are in this place right now. And him and his wife said, man, we've done church before, but we're going we're gonna to join a rooted group. And they joined a rooted group. And he told me it saved their marriage. He told me that as they began to open up and talk about what was going on, they found out that everyone is struggling, that everyone's going through something, and they got the support and the encouragement that they need. And then one last conversation, and this person gave me permission to share this. I did something that I never thought I'd ever do before this last week. And I did a memorial service for a family who birthed a stillborn baby. The baby lived 36 weeks in his mother's womb and never took a breath outside the womb. And you guys, that was just incredible and tragic and painful. And as I was hanging out with the family and talking with them and, and just hearing their just amazing story, just how wonderful they are, one of the things they told me is they said, Eric, through this process, we felt this need to be in community. We felt this desire to to join Rooted, to be part of some kind of small group or life group because we just need that. And so I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if things are going incredibly well for you or incredibly hard for you, but I do know this, that you choosing to be vulnerable in a community, that you saying, after this service, I'm going to head out there and I'm going to get plugged into a community. It doesn't matter what age or stage you're in. You can never age out or stage out of living life in community. So if you are a student, you got to be here on Wednesday nights because you need community. 
If you are a young adult, if you're coming from one of the colleges and you're kind of new to this area and you're new to this church, you know, this is awesome, but what you need is community. You need a group. That if you're a parent, if you're a single, if you're married, if you're struggling, if you're grieving, if you're retired, whatever age or stage you're in, you need a group. And so I just want to get real honest with you and say groups have changed my life. And I believe God wants to use the groups here at Purpose Church to change your life. And so if you are not in a small group, we have some friendly, amazing, wonderful people out in the lobby at the Rooted Tables at the Connect Center who would love to talk with you and plug you into a group that's just right for you. Because honestly, church, we are better together. We are better together. There is no such thing as an only child in the family of God. You were created to know your brothers and sisters because we are a body and we are better together. So as we leave this place, if you're not in a group, can I encourage you? Because I believe it will be the best decision that you've ever made to head out there talk with our people, learn about the groups here at Purpose Church, and choose to get plugged in. Could you stand with us as I pray and as I lead our benediction? Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for, first off, every single student that had the boldness and the courage to come to church today. Thank you, Jesus, that this message applies to them, that that you created them for community and groups, and I pray that they would find community here at this church. And God, for every person here, whether this is their very first Sunday or, or they've been coming to this church for a really, really long time, for the ones here who just haven't made that commitment yet, who haven't decided to jump into a group, to get vulnerable, Jesus, I pray that you would lovingly challenge and encourage them to go just find out a little bit more about how you might want to use some other people at this church to change their lives and to use them to change others' lives. So thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you that you wired us for community. Thank you that you created us for it. Thank you that we are better together. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, amen. Before you leave, we've got our prayer room open right over here, if that would be helpful to you. Otherwise, let's flood the Rooted and Connect Center, and we want to get you plugged into a group. We love you. Have a great week.